This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from comedian Lee Camp, The Colbert Report, The David Pakman Show, The Young Turks, Mario Solis' Marriage, and Citizen Radio with a bonus clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from the BBC News Quiz. So the Republicans keep sprinting farther and farther to the right like they're being chased by a naked Perez Hilton and the Democrats don't seem to want to get left behind. Wait, wait, we can be repulsively greedy too. We like to bomb things too. We're willing to look the other way while the earth sweats profusely under a blanket of CO2 and twists and turns and thrashes about uncomfortably like Sarah Palin when asked to name something she's read. But not to worry. If you don't want to vote for a Republican or a Democrat, you can always vote for one of our other grand political parties. Like, uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade. Is that, is that something? Blue Man Group. The Blue Man Group. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan. The Wu-Tang, are they running for any? The Wu-Tang Clan running for? Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Now I'm just naming books. Nope. We've got essentially two political parties both acting as indentured servants to corporate America. Sure, the Democrats are the lesser of two evils, and as Noam Chomsky says, that's good, because you get less evil. But I think we also gotta continue to fight for no evil. Two political parties? We have at least five major religions to pick from, 48 types of cereal, at least seven phone carriers, but two political parties. We have six major brands of condom and eight brands of sexuality that I can think of, seven deadly sins, at least three dimensions, several ways to skin a cat, and I once saw a book that showed 435 sexual positions, and that was without even getting out your pulley system, pommel horse, and Mary Lou Retton. And yet we have only two political parties, and the two we have are so similar that politicians switch back and forth between sides like they're at a swingers club. Joe Lieberman, Arlen Specter, John Donald Trump. In one party, you loudly brag about your love of war and Wall Street and, you, and your distaste for gays and immigrants, and in the other party, you quietly brag about those things. If we're going to have only two political parties, they should be violently different. Switching between them should be repulsive to everyone involved. It should be like switching from being a Stanley Kubrick fan to being a Vin Diesel fan. It should be like switching from sex with women to sex with dead raccoons or with Nancy Grace. You know what I'm saying? And this won't change until we get campaign finance reform. It's been a long, a long time coming. But I know a change gonna come Oh, yes it will I go to the movie And I go downtown Somebody keep telling me don't Hang around It's been a long But I know a change gonna come. To be a political kingmaker, you need a political action committee or PAC. Last month on this show, I announced the formation of Colbert PAC. Then my parent company, Viacom, said that I couldn't do that 
because of something stupid called federal election law. <laughs> Evidently, a corporation like Viacom can't donate to a PAC, and having me on air talking about my PAC is a donation. But then I spoke to former FEC chairman Trevor Potter. My English audience may know him best as Harry's father. <laughs> he said, he said, I could take corporate donations if I formed something called a super PAC. Now, from here, it gets pretty complicated, so let's break it down for you at the Loophole You Later 6400. <laughs> Welcome to the Loophole You Later 6400, a state of the art touchscreen that seemed way cooler before the iPad came out. Now, to form a super PAC and then get unlimited corporate money, you fill out the application for a regular PAC, add a cover letter saying it is a super PAC, then that's it. <laughs> super PAC can take all the corporate money they want. And that's legal, thanks to last year's Supreme Court case, Citizens United, which said that because corporations are people and people have the right to free speech, and in politics, money equals speech, restricting corporate political donations would violate the corporation's rights. It's all based on the landmark precedent, money talks v. bull walks. <laughs> now, unfortunately, some people, like recently deposed Democratic Senator Russ Feingold, don't believe corporations should have their voices heard. Well, I think Russ Feingold should put a cork in it. <laughs> this clown recently started a new political action committee called Progressives United, which is dedicated to overturning Citizens United. Now, my mother has always taught me not to say mean things about somebody behind their back. So I'm going to say mean things to his face. Please welcome, via satellite from the United States, Senator Russ Feingold. Senator Feingold, thank you for joining us in England. Good to be here. Now, sir, let me get this straight. You're trying to end super PACs by forming your own PAC. Isn't that like campaigning for gun control by shooting everyone in the NRA? <laughs> Not quite. Uh, our political action committee, Progressives United, uh, plays by the, by the old rules, the good rules. And that means that we take limited campaign contributions and we disclose every single penny. Aren't you fighting an uphill battle going against giant, untraceable corporate donations? You know what would really help you in your fight? Some giant, untraceable corporate donations. <laughs> but, you know, that's not right. And uh, it's not our system. Somehow we're hoping that having an approach that appeals to the average person where they feel they still have a say in the political process can overwhelm that kind of money, and I think it's a huge mistake uh, to get in bed with these corporate contributions. Okay, so you don't take these giant corporate contributions and you reveal all the money that you get. How, how did you do in the last election? Well, it didn't go so well. It didn't go it so went, well, and you're the, recommending the, other no, people they, follow your lead, <laughs> sir. Yes. Yeah, it worked real well for 28 years uh, in a row. Well, the bow and arrow served the Native Americans for thousands of years until somebody showed up with a blunderbuss. Isn't that what my super PAC is? I've got a machine gun, and you're coming at me with a wooden stick. 
your blunderbuss is going to get turned around on you uh, like a boomerang when we reveal exactly who is doing that. Is it a boomerang or a blunderbuss, sir? Choose your antiquated weapon. It's it's a boomeranging blunderbuss. Well, that's a weapons technology that I want to get my hands on. Now, if you if you get your way, sir, if you get your way, how will candidates raise money? Will they have to hold tattered cardboard sides by the side of the road, sell oranges on street corners, sell their bodies at the bus station? What are you going to do to these people? Now, I've done some of those things, but not others. Um, but, you know, with the Internet, frankly, uh, it's very possible to raise a huge amount of contributions, as we've done under the Progressives United, from hundreds of thousands of people. $37 is the average contribution. The Internet has provided a way to raise small contributions on a grassroots basis that I think can counter these corporate contributions. Under the law, sir, corporations are persons, and they are a minority. There aren't very many of them. So, newsflash, Russ Feingold wants to muzzle minorities in our political process. Well, that's certainly a fair comment. Aren't you prejudiced against corporations? Do you cross to the other side of the street when you see a corporation coming down? Would you let your daughter date a corporation, sir? (laughs) No, I would not. I wouldn't vote for it as a candidate, and I wouldn't uh, allow a corporation to vote, and I would not let my daughter date a corporation. No, I would not. Now, uh, I believe in fairness, sir. I will tell people where to go to sign up for your pack if, if they want to. Where do they go? They go to progressivesunited.org. For united we stand, divided we fall. And if our backs should ever be against the wall, we'll be together, together, you and I. For united we stand, The first Republican presidential debate, they had one of the, remember, this actually reminds me, remember when they had the, what's your favorite Bible passage thing? And then candidates had to go around and explain which, which was their favorite, uh, their favorite Bible passage. And I just thought, why, why doesn't somebody just say, uh, actually, I think that my favorite Bible passage, whether I have one or not, is completely irrelevant because we have separation of church and state here. And that's, the first uh, order of that's basically of it. Well, this time around, in this next debate, there was a question about, let's go around the room and raise your hand if you support torture. That's basically the question. Here's how it went down. This is going to be another raising of your hands, and (laughs) and you didn't answer this specifically, Congressman Paul. Raise your hand if you would support a resumption of waterboarding under any circumstances. Under certain circumstances or any circumstances? Under certain circumstances. Certain or any. Under any circumstances that you could imagine, not all. (laughs) All right, and people start, I guess, cheering the people that did raise their hands. And it was Herman Cain, Pizza God Herman Cain, Tim Pawlenty, and Rick Santorum. Frankly, the entire debate was some of the most boring talking point recitals that we've seen in a while. And the debate itself, by Lewis, was sponsored by several extremist groups, including the Oath Keepers Militia Group and also the uh, anti-communist radical John Birch Society. 
what on earth is going on? If this is what we're in for, Lewis, for these debates, then we have a lot to look forward to because it is a complete, uh, it's a cluster F. I mean, I don't even know what else to say. It's just, it's a joke. Raise your hand if you support torture. Yeah, but most, you know this, most of the debates are like this until we have, until after the primaries. Yeah, that's true. I, I just hope people realize that while I say and many others say Democrats and Republicans are similar on many, many issues or their positions are very close, involvement with groups like the Oath Keepers Militia Group is only acceptable on the right. I mean, Tim Pawlenty, one of the candidates, goes on the American Family Association radio program hosted by anti-gay Brian Fisher, who's been on this show, said there's no such thing as a monogamous gay relationship. The rectal wall is one cell thick. You remember that guy, Lewis. How could I forget? So it's okay to be associated with a lot of these groups if you're on the right. The Oath Keepers website is riddled with this paranoid rhetoric about government officials disarming the American people, confiscating the property of the American people, including food. The government's confiscating food from the American people, blockading American cities, turning them into giant concentration camps. And by the way, in early 2008, the Oath Keepers founder, okay, the Oath Keepers was one of the sponsors of the Republican debate, warned that a, quote, dominatrix in chief named Hitlery Clinton, Hitlery Clinton would impose a police state on America and shoot all resistors. That's right. One of the groups sponsoring a Republican debate referred to one of the Democratic candidates as Hitlery Clinton. And Glenn Beck also loves the Oath Keepers. So that, that should give us a sense of where we are, aren't we, Lewis? Gives us a sense of uh, how seriously this is taken. Exactly. I guess it happened on purpose Cause lately it's been getting quite intense Hey, David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com. Newt Gingrich has declared that he's running for president today, which gets you the biggest, of course, of all time. Everybody knew he was running, but they like to do these things, gimmicks, where they declare day after day, I'm exploring this, and now I'm finally in, and I'm coming, and all that's tell Randy Gonzalez. Nobody's telling a damn soul, man. You're Newt Gingrich. Okay, so everybody's giving him a lot of credit because they're like, oh my God, he raised $32 million. Did you know that? Between 2009 and 2010, he had these groups. He's got $32 million. I know, especially in Republican politics, money matters a lot. I get that, right? And he's going to run the misleading ads and try to get people to vote for him. And he's got this huge contact and voter list. It's 1.7 million people. Again, very impressive. Here's his problem. There was a poll that said 42% of Americans would never vote for Newt Gingrich. Never. You know why? He's deeply unlikable, okay? I mean, not only did he do all those shenanigans in the 1990s, he shut the government down, he was incredibly unpopular back then, <laughs> but then, you know, you got his personal life where he had 
at least two mistresses. He got three wives. He said he uh, stooped a mistress because he loved his country so much and he was working too hard. The world's worst excuse for an affair. He left one of his wives in the hospital when she had cancer. This guy's going to be president? This guy's going to get voters in the Republican primary, let alone the general election? He ain't going to get no votes. He can have a $32 billion. He still wouldn't win. People don't like him. By the way, how did he raise some of that money and what has he done with it? That's the interesting part of the story. So, uh, you know, he's plugging along and he's been doing this shtick for a long time. He sets up these non-profits and for-profits and uh, he gets paid for speaking and books and he's done movies. Ugh, who wants to see a Newt Gingrich movie, right? So he's got this whole thing going. But in 2008, he hit the jackpot. He was giving a speech and in that speech he said... Um, uh, drill here, drill now, pay less. He came up with that little slogan, which then got morphed over the summer, you remember in 2008, into Drill Baby Drill. And that wound up being very popular. Now, it got him some actual people to sign up to his list, etc. But much more importantly, it got him a ton of money. You want to guess who gave him that money? You're going to be shocked to find out. It was the energy companies. Ha! Funny how that works. So all of a sudden, Newt's group winds up with $28.7 million. Just because he said, hey, let's drill and give the oil companies more money. Hey, the oil companies like that. So that is among the different ways that he raises money, and that's who he's backed by, and that's why people are talking about him. If he wasn't backed by millions upon millions of dollars from oil companies and other rich people who are looking to rob us at some point when if Newt Gingrich became president, well, then nobody would be talking about Newt Gingrich, right? So, and now, how much did he raise overall? Well, uh, he eventually got to the point where he had uh, $50 million in what he calls Gingrich's American Solutions. Now, part of the, all of this is that he's supposed to give away the money. Some of it is charitable. Not all of it. Some of it is for-profit. But, uh, you know, he's trying to do right by America. America needs him. He said today he cited Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln and Ronald Reagan as his predecessors, as the people that are like him. He said, now, normally, if we had normal situation in the country, you might not want to elect a candidate like me. But in dire circumstances like this, the country needs me, like they needed Jefferson and Lincoln. This guy's unbearable. So, okay, but let's be fair. He must have given some of that money away to charity for the causes that he cares about. It doesn't have to be good causes. It could be conservative causes we disagree with, as long as he's doing the right thing and, and giving the money to the people he said he was going to give it to. Gingrich's foundations, according to their tax records in 2009, gave away $135,000. That's it. He's got $50 million, gave away $135,000. His largest donation was 30000 What a joke. Okay, so where did the money go? Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of things you got to do when you run an organization. You know how much uh, they spent in salaries? $4 million. Somebody got rich. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Charity? 135000 Salaries to all the people I know and are on my, on my, on my team? $4 million. Okay. And how about travel? Well, get a load of how much he spent on travel between 2009 and 2010. $3.6 million. I'm not sure I could spend $3.6 million if you said, here, you've got two years to go travel all around the world and spend this money. I'm not sure I could do it. $3.6 million. 
Now, to give you a sense of perspective, right, Mitt Romney also traveling all across the country because he's going to run. He's also a Republican, okay? You know how much he spent with the same amount of travel? $273,000, I should say, and $110. So, $3.6 $270,000, okay? Because Newt's living it up. He's high on the hog. He loves this. He's like, give me the money. Welcome. Drill, baby, drill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Give me the money. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, yeah, here, here. Charity. Yeah, yeah, here's that little thing. I got desperate desires and unadmirable plans. My tongue will taste of gin and malicious intent. Bring you back to the bar, get you out of the cold. A sober straight face gets you out of your clothes And they're scared that we know All the crimes they'll commit Who they'll kiss before they get home So you may recall that uh, about a week ago, former Speaker of the House and Lego figurine head model <laughs> Newt Gingrich declared his candidacy. Now, you might think that the party of family values and anti-Washington sentiment might have some problems. The twice-divorced, sanctioned-on-ethics charges former Speaker of the House. You would be wrong. Newt Gingrich has always been an ideas man, uh, and uh, I'm sure will provide a lot of positive uh, input in the debate. He's got baggage from, from the 1990s, but remember that Newt Gingrich is a real, towering conservative intellectual. He understands America, he is a historian, he is a scholar, he understands where we're coming from. He's one of the smartest people in America. He comes up with, you know, two ideas every minute. Here's my impression of Newt Gingrich in a minute. <laughs> Non-alcoholic tequila. <laughs> Bomb sniffing turtles. <laughs> Kosher bacon. Edible diapers. <laughs> See, there's two ideas a minute, but a lot of them. <laughs> Still, the larger point is always forgiven. Newt, you got a clean slate. A second chance to make a first impression, and he chose just the place to do it. Meet the press. A chance to show off his intellectual and conservative chops. And David Gregory set him up with an easy one. What do you think of Paul Ryan's plans for Medicare? Do you think that Republicans ought to buck the public opposition? and really move forward to completely change Medicare? I don't think right-wing social engineering is any more desirable than left-wing social engineering. I don't think imposing radical change from the right or the left is a very good way for a free society to operate. Wow. I... <laughs> Appealing to the moderate wing of the Republican Party, a wing uh, which, as you know, has been closed for renovation since Nelson Rockefeller died. <laughs> But he's an intellectual heavyweight. Surely his fellow travelers respect the gravita. He announced last Wednesday for the GOP nomination for president, and he detonated his own campaign on Sunday. Does he really want to be nominated by the Republican Party? One wonders. He was never a very likable guy. This is a capital offense. How can I say this politely? He was urinating inside the family circle. <laughs> Ha ha ha!
would the impolite way have been to say that? How do I put this impolitely? He skull the ghost of Ronald Reagan. And then wiped his on Teddy Roosevelt's bedspread. No disrespect. But you know what? That's leadership. Sometimes you have to speak uncomfortable truths and stand by them. Earlier in the day, speaking on a conference call, Gingrich tried to pass the blame to the adversarial nature of Meet the Press, <laughs> saying, quote, I didn't go in there quite Come hostile on, enough man. because it didn't occur to me that going in that you'd have a series of setups. Oh, man. Wow. This wasn't me randomly saying things. These were very deliberate efforts to pick fights. You know what? I get it. I get it. You go on these political shows, you don't know what to expect. It's scary. They can be very intimidating, Newt. Welcome back. Good to be with you, David. This is your 35th appearance on the program. You've been on that show more times than David Gregory. It's not going to fly, Newt. You know that. That's a terrible excuse. Try again. When I make a mistake, and I'm going to on occasion, I want to stand up and share with the American people that was a mistake, because that way we can have an honest conversation. So let me say, on the record, any ad which quotes what I said on Sunday is a falsehood. And because I have said publicly, those words were inaccurate and unfortunate. You know, I've always found the hallmark of an honest conversation is one that begins with, if you quote me directly, utilizing videotape of my comments in context, you're lying. <laughs> How bad have things gotten for Gingrich? This was his Monday Republican base meet and greet in Iowa. You're an embarrassment to our party. I'm sorry you feel that way. Why don't you get out before sorry, you make a bigger fool of yourself? And this was his Tuesday book signing in Minneapolis. You're the rainbow Stop the hate, stop anti-gay politics. Dividing our country and it's not. And of course, later that evening, his hotel turndown service consisted of a chocolate mint and a punch in the nuts. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. We caught Newt Gingrich red-handed. Unbelievable. I was sharing with folks about how Newt Gingrich had basically gone on Spanish-language television over the weekend, right? He had gone on Spanish-language television over the weekend. He went on, on uh, Univision. So, so Newt Gingrich goes on there because, of course, he's announcing his thing. He, he wants to be president, etc. 
And we have talked extensively on this program about how Newt Gingrich has worked to like create this or, or to do this outreach bit into Latino, you know, into Latino voting blocks. And so he has this Latino uh, website in English called the Americano. And then he I, that's I'm assuming that's the way he, he pronounces it. And then we he has another website that's in Spanish. And keep in mind that this is the guy who said that Spanish is the language of the ghetto and said that Spanish was the language of poverty. All right. So so since then, he, I guess, has looked at the demographics and he's got religion. So he goes on and I talked about this yesterday, but there's, I just want to catch you up because there was big developments today that are going to absolutely blow your mind. And I'm not exaggerating because they've blown mine. And 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 Rick, you should link to the story I wrote about it on MarioWire.com on my page on AM760.net because there's some links that people are going to want to see, right? So, so we talk about this, and it, and basically he goes on uh, uh, al punto, and he says that he believes that there should be a pathway to legalization for undocumented folks. Which is, which is just like, that's mind-blowing to hear that from Newt Gingrich, right? Now, the way he wants to do it is goofy and all that. We talked about that, and we talked a little bit about that yesterday as well. But, but, but he is kind of doing this thing, but he's doing it in Spanish. He's doing it on a Spanish language station. Hoping, or my assessment, my analysis was that he was hoping that people that don't watch Spanish language TV, which, will never know he said it. So you have Newt Gingrich over there on Univision saying, oh, there should be a pathway to legalization, right? And and But he's not saying it in English. So I write about it. I, 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 so I talked about it yesterday, and then they wrote about it on Think Progress Today, I think, or they might have wrote about it yesterday. And then I decide I'm going to write about it today. So I write about it. And then I start hearing rumblings. That that there's that there's nervousness in Newtland, right? And nobody can deny he said it because there's a transcript and there's a recording and all of that stuff. Because he he doesn't know Spanish. He said it in English. When 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 people don't speak Spanish, go on al punto. They 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 dub in the Spanish, right? But so there is a record of a recording of him saying this. And so lo and behold. One of our team members here is like helping me do, you know, we, we post the story and we get some interest in it and we hear there's nervousness in Newtland or otherwise known for, for you Newtinos out there, for you Latinos that love Newt, Newtinos. Um, there's trouble in Newtlandia, right? And then suddenly, while, while one of my team members is doing research, additional research for the story, he discovers, now check this out, because it's going to blow you away, that Newt Gingrich has pulled every single item on any website that he controls that talks about immigration. Search immigration, or put Google Newt.org immigration. And when you Google that, like 20, story, 20 things come up about what Newt Gingrich thinks about immigration. But when you click on the link... And you go to his site, it says, this content has been removed. 
And it says it on every single item. Newt Gingrich, while he's pushing his pro-legalization opinion in, um, in uh, uh, you know, in Spanish, he is turning around and pulling everything he ever said about it in English. Now, why can that be? Newt Gingrich is trying to erase his history on immigration. I love it. In English, he is. In Spanish, he's trying to create. He's trying to create a, a new record. But in English, he's trying to erase his record. This, this, this is this this is an amazing. This, by the way. Do I let me remind you? This is one of the top contenders. This is one of the top contenders for the presidential, uh, for the GOP presidential nomination. Who has spent real staff time in the last 24 hours trying to erase his opinion on immigration? What do you think about that? The Univision uh, interview. Uh, is that the real Newt Gingrich? Or is the English language record the real Newt Gingrich, even though he's trying to erase it? Will the real Newt Gingrich please stand up? installment of Meet Your Potential 2012 GOP Candidate. Tonight we're featuring former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santor. He's semi-committed to a run, having dipped his toes in the presidential pool by forming an exploratory committee. That's how they do it. Santorum, of course, has an uphill battle because he only got 3% support in the latest NBC News poll, and frankly, I'm shocked it was that high. But he's trying to fix that this week with a campaign blitz. Nine events in six days in three states plus D.C. Good luck with the D.C. vote. Today, he checked the gun lobby off his list with a speech to the NRA. But with Santorum's history, he doesn't have much work to do to prove his social conservative credentials. But that doesn't mean he's not trying. Yesterday, Santorum railed on Planned Parenthood. This is an organization that was founded uh, on the eugenics movement, founded on racism. You can say, well, it's not that anymore. Uh, it's not far from where it was, in my opinion. A lot of evidence that the location of their clinics happened to be in places that uh, were historically places where there are high concentrations of minorities, for example, uh, and that uh, advertising is, is geared toward, uh, toward that. 
Right, it's not conservatives, it's Planned Parenthood that's racist. Yeah, I got it. Nice try. But in fact, fewer than one in 10 abortion clinics are located in predominantly black neighborhoods. So as always, he wasn't even close to right. Of course, that's not all Santormus had to say on abortion. The reason Social Security is in big trouble is we don't have enough workers to support the retirees. Well, a third of all the young people in America are not in America today because of abortion, because one in three pregnancies end in abortion. It's amazing how little sense that makes. Then they would also get Social Security later. He didn't think about that part. In addition to being radically anti-choice, Santorum planted his flag in the anti-gay camp back in 2003 in an interview with the Associated Press when he had this to say about same-sex marriage. Quote, In every society, the definition of marriage has not ever, to my knowledge, included homosexuality. That's not to pick on homosexuality. It's not, you know, man on child, man on dog, or whatever the case may be. Now, of course, he's never lived down that man on dog comment. Santorum also blamed the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal on liberal media's zealous promotion of alternative lifestyles. Yeah, the liberal media made the priests do it. Nice try. Now that he's staked his claim well into radical social conservative territory, Santorum tried to boost his foreign policy cred yesterday with a big speech. Well, it wasn't quite, I can't see Russia, I can see Russia from my house level, as Palin did, of course. It was certainly no Gorbachev tear down this wall either. He didn't even mention Afghanistan, America's longest war. And when he was asked about it, here's what he came up with. The narrative was sort of a uh, looking forward type of speech, not really bogged down. I mean, I did mention some of the current conflicts, but I, I did try to paint, sort of not get bogged down in that, and just really paint more of a, a larger vision of our, of our overall policy. He apparently didn't think he'd get bogged down talking about Libya, though. That was a cut-and-tried case of President Obama's a terrible leader. Decisive action against Gaddafi would have been the end of him, but that is not what we did. Instead, the president delayed any comment for several days, then announced his support for expelling Gaddafi. He then dithered by doing nothing to effectuate that policy. But here's where it's, it gets good. When he was asked what he would do in Libya instead, listen to what he said. I don't have the information necessarily to make uh, the, those kind of judgments in, in a way that I would feel comfortable answering that question. I think I'd have to have a lot more intel than it's available publicly as to what's going on in Libya, the nature of, of, the, uh, of, of the rebels and the, the conditions on the ground. That's great. So he doesn't have enough intel to make up his own mind, but he does have enough intel to know that Obama's definitely wrong. <laughs> Lack of intelligence has been a problem for Santorum before. In 2006, he held a press conference announcing that the U.S. has found WMDs in Iraq. Oops. But Santorum's speech yesterday was about slamming Obama's foreign policies, and he threw in the, some good old-fashioned fear-mongering for good measure. He called radical Islam a, quote, existential threat that was extending its tentacles from Africa to America. And he said they're not just doing it through acts of terror. It's more, including the non-violent efforts to insinuate Sharia law in Western countries, including our own. Oh, no, not Sharia law! 
<laughs> but radical Islam has been uh, long a fear of Santorum's. In 2006, he was one of only two senators to vote against confirming Robert Gates as Secretary of Defense. And he did it because Gates had the temerity to advocate talking to Iran and Syria as part of the solution to the Iraq war. So there's your primer on Rick Santorum, anti-gay, anti-choice, anti-Muslim. And in his last election in 2006, the voters were anti-Santorum. He lost to Bob Casey Jr. by 18 points, the worst loss for a Republican senator in Pennsylvania. And that was even after a last-ditch effort for victory by launching Gathering Storm Tour, where he told people that Democratic victory would be a disaster for the future of the world. And that didn't work either, because he was a loser. reason that Kane wants to get with this. Everyone in D.C. is talking about my fundraising political action committee, Colbert Pack. Founded by me, oh, they love it. Founded by me so that this election, you, the Colbert Nation, could have a voice in the form of my voice <laughs> shouted through a megaphone made of cash. Now, when I announced Colbert Pack on the air, my parent company, Viacom, freaked because legally, it is illegal. <laughs> Corporations cannot donate to PACs, and they say using my show to talk about my PAC is a donation. So I did the right thing, and I exploited a loophole. You see, thanks to the Supreme Court's Citizens United ruling, corporations who can't give any money to a PAC can now give unlimited money to something called a super PAC. But there is a crucial legal distinction between a PAC and a super PAC. One has the word super in its name. So I took Colbert Pack and I made it Colbert Super Pack. Pack, Super Pack. Clark Kent, Superman. Bruce Wayne, Batman. Gordita, Gordita Supreme. But even this, even this was not good enough for those idiots at Viacom who employ me and made me a star. Because I just got this letter right here from Viacom's lawyers. Here, I'll read it to you on the air. They say, please do not read this on the air. Okay, did not see that coming. All right, Jimmy, let's remember to edit that out, okay? Let's see, I'll just uh, give it a skin here. Uh, do not, do not, do not. Meow, 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 meow. Okay, I'll paraphrase. We are stupid lawyers who hate fun. If you do this, we're all scared that people might get mad at us. I think we just peed a little. So even though we know it's totally legal and everything, everybody wants you to do it, we're not going to let you do it. Sincerely, Admiral John Q. Buzzshackler, Esquire. believe it. I hate my parent company. They never let me do anything. 
everyone else's parents' company let them do it. Carl Rove is a paid employee of Fox News, and he gets to talk about his super PAC, American Crossroads, all the time. American Crossroads, American Action Network, and other groups have announced a $50 million uh, house surge strategy. There's a new poll out from American Crossroads. Full disclosure, I'm involved in a group called American Crossroads. He can have his cake and eat it too. <laughs> and imagine how much cake he eats. also lets paid contributor Dick Morris do it. See if you can spot him subtly slipping his super PAC into the conversation. I've set up a thing called superpacusa.com. I've set up something called superpacusa.com. Superpacusa.com. I have this thing called superpacusa. Superpacusa.com. Superpacusa.com. Don't watch the show without a pencil and paper. Yes, always watch the show with a pencil and paper, Fox viewers. And if you don't have pencil privileges, explain to the day nurse that it's for America. <laughs> and folks, it's not just Fox. NBC Universal is fine with Donald Trump running his mouth off about his political ambitions on The Celebrity Apprentice. Everybody's saying I should run for president. Let me ask you a question. Meatloaf, should I run for president? Absolutely. <laughs> Incidentally, Meatloaf, should I run for president, is the same question Chris Christie asks his dinner every night. And to date, the Meatloaf has not been given time to answer. So, Allison and I have been accused recently of uh, of not playing nice <laughs> with Barack Obama. And what's interesting is like... Is we, that our job? I, I didn't realize our job was to... The journalist job. To schedule meet and greets for the Obamas, I thought. Because I have been very rude in, in that case. Yeah. Uh, was I supposed to make... Uh, well, I, be- I believe when you I believe when you walk into the New York Times, there is a giant wall mural of the president, mm-hmm. and it just says, "I'm watching you." Right. And Sh- you're supposed to abide by. That just person. to be clear, was I supposed to have like brought flowers for Michelle or like hors d'oeuvres or something like wine? I always Should bring stuff. I, I I bring stuffed animals for the children. I have been very rude. I have not been doing that. I've just been. There is a reason that Sasha is always giving you the stink eye. I've just been critically thinking and aggressively fact checking no, I, I I have been I have been befriending these two young girls yeah women soon to be women that's true young ladies now sorry Sasha and Malia and you know what's so interesting is we haven't really even the kind of tweets and stuff that like we're getting or Glenn Greenwald are getting is getting it's or oh my god Jane Hampshire <laughs> yeah are 
usually reserved for like when election season comes around and everybody starts and, and we're vocally saying fuck Barack Obama right and what's so scary now is we haven't really had shows where we've said fuck Barack Obama that's what's so weird like we've been relatively tame yeah I I mean, we've stuck up for Obama when he needs to be stuck up for you know, when it came to the racism, when it came to all that. Sure. And we've uh, attacked Obama when he needed to be attacked. Like when it comes to war crimes. And I guess the reason I wanted to bring this up and what, what, what's so scary is that the, the, the fact that it's coming out now is scary because we're, we're not assaulting him personally. And I guess, you know, back in the election – during the election, it could definitely seem like we were assaulting him more personally because we were going over his policies and his character. Whereas right now, when we're talking about like, you know, for example, the, the drone strikes in Libya, we're not talking about Barack Obama. We're talking about drone strikes in Libya. And what's so scary to me now is these kind of self-proclaimed Obama bots are just hearing that and automatically any criticism of policy is suddenly a criticism of Obama, which means that we are awful people that hate our first black president. Right. And, and that's kind of freaking me out where it's like, man, now we're getting to the point of like not even questioning fucking policy. Like yeah. that's terrifying. Maybe it's because the election's coming. Maybe it's because it's soon. I mean, maybe I think a lot of it's just out of desperation. You know, I mean, I don't believe that these people who are contacting us are stupid in any kind of way. In fact, I know most of them are very intelligent and but whether you know and they all joke about it where they're like i'm a proud obama bot you know like and they're saying that they're not that but uh they're apologists you know if you can't see that your president that you got elected has increased troops in afghanistan has increased predator drone strikes has killed innocent civilians if you can't criticize him for that you are an apologist yeah end of story yeah and i love you you know, there are a, a, people who I do respect who I agree with on like 90% of the issues out there. But on that 10%, man, there are countries between us, you know? Right. And, you know, it's – I guess what makes me so sad is this. There are people who listen to the show who support Barack Obama. I wanted nothing more than to support Barack Obama. Uh, I still like Barack Obama sometimes on certain matters. A lot rarer than I used to. Um, but what always to me – and I've said this, but I haven't said it in a while on the show. What, what, what always to me made liberals so different than Republicans was our ability to look at empirical data, our empirical to look at facts and be able to think critically about those facts, change our minds and not blindly worship to, to actually hold our people accountable. I mean, if you look at so many issues when it's Democrat versus Republican, you look at global warming. Mm -hmm. Why do we believe in global warming? Because we looked at the facts. Why don't they believe in global warming? Because they don't want to. And it makes Jesus sad, right? <laughs> when it comes to sex education, why, why do we believe that abstinence only doesn't work? Because of the facts. Because if you look at where abstinence only is taught, they have the most STDs, the most teen pregnancies, etc. So why now when it comes to Barack Obama, why when it comes to this one president, why even when it comes to Bill Clinton who passed some of the most homophobic pro-business legislation we've ever fucking seen, why when it comes to our guys can't we critically think to that level? 
Well, a lot of them play the game where they where they say, you know, the alternative is so much worse that if you uh, if you're not with Team Obama, you're with Team X, you're with Team, you know, Palin, Team Trump, whatever, which is a false choice. Like, so in other words, my right. choice is uh, war or slightly less war. Although with Obama, you can't even make that case anymore because he has escalated what's happening in Afghanistan and Pakistan. So it's between war and more war for your team. Yeah. Um, why can't we have a third option where it's like none of the above? Or aggressive activism where it's like, okay, you got your guy elected. Why are you now up my ass? Because I want to actively petition this guy to that's, change his behavior. That's what fucking kills me. Yeah. It's like the people, it's like the liberals who give other liberals shit for being vegan. It's like, again... Bad enough you're not doing your part. Yeah, but I'm not... But then you're going to give shit to the people who are doing what you should be doing? I'm not cheering loudly enough for your guy? Like, that to me is like, if you can't see what a blind worshiper you are at that point, that that I'm not even allowed to, on fucking Twitter, insult your president. You know, it's like... And not even insult. Again, attack the policies that are responsible for civilians being murdered. Right. I'm not going after murdered. like character assassination or like insulting his children. Like, right. yeah. it's not like if we sent around racist postcards right. of like Obama in the African garb being like, "Oh, so now I can't criticize the president." Right. Exactly. Like we are, we condemn those acts as much as anybody else does. But when, yeah, when I'm attacking the policies of the president on Twitter to be like. You're the reason that we're going to lose the election in 2000. You sound like a crazy person. Yeah, You absolutely. sound like a lunatic. And the fact that they can't see that, you know, and what's so funny is they all have the epiphany like four years from now. Four years from now, they're all going to be like, you know, I, I criticized them. I, I did criticize them a little bit. It was like, really? Where were there were five of us? I could count on one hand how many progressives were criticizing Obama. Right. David Sirota, Glenn Greenwald, Jane Hampshire, us, and like Marcy Wheeler. Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's, like, it's the Dog Lake, obviously, but like it's a small community. But like, yeah, five years, five years from now, there's going to be like the same thing with uh, progressives say about Bill Clinton, where they're like, oh, I didn't blindly worship him. I criticized him. And it's like real. Well, then how did the most homophobic legislation get passed under Clinton's watch? Here's the deal. Here's what I don't understand. I've been working very hard. Oh, Joe Rogan's DMing me about John Jones. Name drop and look out. It's, it's Joe, Joe Rogan. Rogan and John Jones. <laughs> Mostly look, Joe Rogan. Look, guys, I'm going to be training with John Danner. It's Along a, with Marcelo Garcia. No big deal. It's no big deal. And Joe Rogan's freaking out. As well he should be. Now, here's what I was going to say. I have made a vow to not get into internet fights anymore. Oh my God. They are so fruitless and stupid and they spam everybody. Yeah. It's awful. You know, when I was working with Doug Stanhope, we were talking about how ridiculous the, the internet commenters are. And, you know, he doesn't read that stuff anymore. When we were backstage with Rise Against, they were like, we had our message board for about a for exactly a year. So funny. Before it completely dissolved and they just shut it down. I know. Yeah, that was hilarious to us. Well, it was especially hilarious because combining Stanhope, Stanhope's like, yeah, your little dreams of socialism aren't working now, (laughs) where it just takes a couple fucking assholes and it makes you want to turn into a fucking dictator Mm -hmm. where you're just like, shut it all down and like rise against it 
that. Like, right. they're like the nicest, sweetest, most progressive people. And to see them be well, like, oh. And they had a good reason. Like, Zach was just like, it just wasn't healthy. Like, people were just being mean to each other. And we were like, yeah. Yeah. Where it's yeah. like, so now they just post like activism links. And they're right, like, if right. you want to be a good person, go here. If you have enough time to troll all day on a message board, chances are you're not going to do these things. Right. Anyway, my point being is so, of course, it lasted a day and I'm Twitter fighting with this guy about about Obama and you know I just don't I don't remember where I was going with this I just don't understand how you became the enemy <laughs> right for for again oh I, I remember exactly what I was going to say is so when I do internet fight I go crazy and of course I have to see who this person is <laughs> How many followers they oh have? Oh my god! I have you to read their profile. Oh no, my- I just click over once. You've done the same thing. You click over once and you see who the fuck it is. No, I don't do that anymore on Twitter. But you used to though, right? Occasionally, you want I, you want to see who is yelling at you. Okay, I do. So I click the profile, and whenever I click the profile of these Obama supporters, it's always like lifelong progressive, yeah, anti-war activist. You know, except when there's a war. And and that's what upsets me the most, where it's like, okay, so if these things mean enough for you to put them in your little profile, then wouldn't it behoove you to try to pressure the president into actually following through with the ideals that you hold so true? Well, what happens along the way is they think that they're being a pragmatist when when in fact they're being an apologist. They're like, this is the real world, he says, with no military training whatsoever, far from a battlefield. Right. You know, they act like these armchair generals where they're like, this is the real world. We're getting bombs dropped on us. You don't know what's out here. Right. Uh, he blogs from Williamsburg, you know. <laughs> so we are portrayed as these idealistic, naive daydreamers but again when in fact we're the only ones being morally and ethically consistent because if this if this if this was sure every good liberal on twitter would be pissed the fuck off right yeah absolutely i mean i guess what's even like more upsetting is like you just look at and we've talked about this with obama the great negotiator we got to get him back on is (laughs) you just look at the laws of negotiation And these people should be happy where it's like if there are people like us and Greenwald and all of you guys out there pressuring Obama to be as anti-war as possible, then don't the laws of negotiation say at least we'll we'll land somewhere a little more peaceful than we are now? Whereas if you do what these guys do, which is just blindly support the president. But meanwhile, while we're not doing anything, you have the conservatives pushing them to bomb everything with a with a yucky sounding Middle Eastern name, <laughs> then where do you think he's going to land? Right. Exactly. He's going to land somewhere more towards the, the right. Yeah. And I mean, what's so incredible to me is they're the ones being intolerant. You know, it's not as though we never criticize them on the interwebs, but we're not trying to silence them and force them out of the party. Whereas I really feel like they're trying to silence us and force us out. Well, and even the Obama administration, you know, Rahm Emanuel called us progressives retards. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we're, we're getting bashed all the time. We're constantly getting thrown under the bus. Yeah. And I mean, like, is the Democratic Party not divided enough? Like, can we just agree that 
we have certain liberal ideals and those ideals include being anti-war yeah. regardless of who's president it's not a good thing to be bombing and killing innocent children yeah can we agree on that if we can agree on that then you have to criticize the president when he escalates a war in afghanistan and escalates drone strikes in pakistan you have to yeah otherwise if you fail to do so you're morally and intellectually inconsistent absolutely and you would laugh at republicans if they did the same thing i know i know Matthew in Denver. All I'm going to say is, I'll see you and everyone else on May 22nd. Hey Jay, it's Dominic from Castle Rock, Colorado, and I'm just calling with some, with some remarks on Osama bin Laden's death. And uh, I heard about uh, about 9/11 when I was in second grade, so it's really affected my entire life. And I was laying in bed on Sunday after hearing that he had been killed. And I was trying to justify killing him. And i just like to say that I think he deserves what he got. And the reason for that is because he taught my entire generation to be afraid. And fear is what caused 9-11, or fear is what caused Afghanistan, and fear is what caused Iraq, both of which killed hundreds of thousands of people. So I think that's the reason he deserves what he got. And that's all I've got to say. Thanks for the show. Bye. Hey, Jay, Ron, from calling out outside of Philadelphia. I uh, called today because I love the show and uh, had a different uh, perspective I wanted to share with people. Um, the different perspective is, um, for whatever reasons, I couldn't listen to the show for about two or three months until about early April. So over the last few weeks, I've uh, sped gone through the show and kind of got a you know glimpse of everything at a real fast pace. And it, and it brought us some interesting thoughts. And I guess I would say to summarize, you know, in general... Um, the show and the progressive point of view, uh, I believe, um, always adheres to the, let's bring some facts, bring some data, um, bring some reason, um, some compassion to the, to the argument. And that's usually results in the right things to do, or identifying the right things to do. It's the actually doing them that's, that's tougher. But um, I guess I say that, you know, whether it's the budget, taxes, abortion, whatever, it's always that, let's bring some facts, bring some data to the argument. That's what we love about the Jenks. That's what we love about the Rachel Maddows. That's what we love about everybody that's showcased on the show. And, uh, and that process works. And even to prove that it doesn't even matter about the, the, the radio hosts, the process works. The Mumia argument is another one. Uh, I was watching that one closely, and it was teetering either direction some days. But in general, I think that a compassionate, data-based point of view won out. Um, anybody that seemed to be against him was convinced that he was guilty and convinced that he was convict- convicted fairly. And, um, you know, this, this, they should know better than believing that too strongly. So um, I think the right thing worked. And so it wasn't the radio shows, it was the people. And the process works, bringing data to the table. And that's what we love about it. The call to action, I guess, is, is what are we going to do about it that's going to get us some different outcomes? I mean, I listened to Jenk the other day. He's like, he was right. He was right. I showed you. Here's what I said about it. Here's what the people say. The Republicans are out of touch with the people, whether it's on abortion or taxes or international affairs, whatever. And yet they keep winning. And it seems like 
you know, as much as, as great as some of the, the things you mentioned about um, Power Shift and um, New Leaders Council and so forth, those are great things, too. It just feels like the Koch brothers are outpacing us by billions, and, uh, and so they kind of have a little bit of a stranglehold. And it's like, you know, what can we do, and I'm curious for people's thoughts on the show, what can we do different? Um, is it more of the same? Is it trying to fight fire with fire, um, fundraise faster, organize better, or is there something else we can get going? So anyway, sorry for the length, but uh, love the show and uh, wanted to pass that along and curious for people's thoughts. Thanks, man. Hey, Jay, this is Carter from Denver. I was listening to your great uh, religion podcast on the 19th and, well, 21st, past the apocalypse. Um, I'm sure I'll hear you next week, either way. But I want to respond to the American Life post about the guy that said he couldn't understand how you know why he should, he should be a good person after his face fell apart I'm like you know my own response is why shouldn't you just be a good person to be a good person so that's what baffled me I was raised in a very Christian environment myself and I just don't get the fact that even if your faith is shattered just be a good person be a good person I'm not a Christian now but I still would like to think I am a good person for the sole fact of being a good person. So anyways, thanks a bunch for the podcast. I hope you're a monthly member as soon as I get the money scrounged up. And love the podcast, Jay. Keep doing it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Today, I just wanted to quickly remind you of the brand new way to help support the show at no cost to yourself. Uh, which is to check out Stitcher. And and when you do, use the promo code BEST. That's how they know that I sent you. So basically, Stitcher is a service that allows you to listen to thousands of uh, podcasts without syncing your mobile internet-connected device uh, to a computer. So you can get this application on the iOS devices, meaning all the Apple devices, as well as Android, BlackBerry, and Palm. And when you get one of those applications and uh, as you sign up, if you use the promo code BEST, not only will you be supporting this show without uh, it costing you a dime, it also enters you for a chance to win $100 from Stitcher just because they like you. So check out Stitcher in the application marketplace of your choice or check out stitcher.com slash best to be walked right through the process. Secondly, today, I wanted to address an email that I got a while back um, and just haven't had a chance to to get to yet. And this is uh, harking back to the debate over Planned Parenthood and uh, funding from the government and, and, you know, based on abortions and, and that whole thing that we went through a few weeks ago. So Sherry writes, Uh, I keep waiting for someone else to ask this question, but you haven't said anything on your podcast, so here goes. During the 2010 election, there was a lot of comments about the money the Chamber of Commerce was donating to conservative candidates. They get some of their money from overseas corporations. The argument was, because money is fungible, they can't say that no foreign money is being spent to influence the election. Now, there are a lot of comments about Planned Parenthood having its government money cut because a few of their facilities offer abortions. The response has been that no government money is funding those facilities. My question is, if the Chamber of Commerce money source is fungible, why isn't Planned Parenthood's? I hate what conservatives are doing to my country, and I utilize Planned Parenthood services for years, but I am having trouble understanding the difference in the money issue. 
So I'm going to do my best to explain this uh, as best I know how, and then when I am wrong, I sincerely hope that someone will call in and correct me on the issue. Uh, so first of all, the Chamber of Commerce, as I understand, they receive money from their uh, you know, member organizations and any, any donors that they can get the money from, and then they turn around and spend that on things, very often campaign commercials. And uh, in Planned Parenthood does their uh, funding through the government a little bit differently. They actually perform the services first and then request reimbursements through the government. And since the government doesn't provide any funding for abortion services, that's the, all they have to do is not request funding for any abortions they've performed. And then there you go. The government didn't give them any money for abortions. Now, that may be the exact reason why uh, we can say that we're right and that the two arguments are not, uh, you know, basically two sides of the same coin. But to be intellectually honest about it, I actually don't think it's that bad of an argument from the pro-life, anti-choice, conservative point of view to make that argument about Planned Parenthood, and here's why. Basically, you know, Planned Parenthood does 97% of their services are not abortion-related, but the fact that they do those services and receive funding for them basically underwrites the entire infrastructure of their organization. And so Planned Parenthood as a whole, I mean, the buildings and the doctors and the staff and the suckers in the waiting room, you know, they wouldn't be there to then provide a, a place and, and the staff to manage abortion services without the rest of that funding coming in to support the organization. So even if the abortion itself has a very specific cost for, you know, the hospital room time or the doctor's time or, you know, wh whatever the exact uh, line item costs of an abortion are, I still think that to be totally honest about it, Planned Parenthood is funded uh, in part by the government and its infrastructure allows for abortion services to be performed. So it certainly does seem that to argue that there is absolutely no connection between government funding and abortion services through Planned Parenthood may be technically correct, but still not quite exactly true. That's my take on it. I am nowhere near an expert, uh, so if there is a great argument for why what I'm saying is way off, uh, please call in 206-202-3410. Now I'm just going to thank a couple of members before I go. Russ M. signed up for a leftist uh, yearly membership back on September 14th, and Robert B. signed up for a leftist membership uh, back on September 3rd, monthly membership, and has stuck with the show since then. So huge thanks to Russ and Robert and all of the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Everyone can continue to support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. Stay tuned into the show and help spread the word online by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside, the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. It's now black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Who shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door
Hi, Jay. This is Robin from NYC. And I've been listening to the callers ever since you first shared your feelings about bin Laden. And, I, yeah, I just keep thinking about it. And I want to share my own personal experience. So let me say first that I'm a New Yorker, a Brooklynite, born and bred. And uh, I was really lucky that I grew up with an amazingly cool view of the World Trade Center. Since then, you know, I've traveled and moved around the country for some years, but uh, by September 11, 2001, I was living back in the city, downtown, in the East Village, and uh, when the day came and those planes hit the buildings, uh, for about the next two, two and a half months, I... The way I remember it, I was, like, nearly catatonic. I was, like, shaking and staring off into space and sweating and crying, screaming, whatever. Uh, and I, I did spend a lot of time at night at uh, Union Square Park where, like, hundreds would gather and, you know, later dozens. I'd be there until, like, late into the middle of the night. Everywhere was full of candles, uh, things to sign, I don't know, uh, poets, and uh, there was a lot of late-night debates, you know, a lot of arguments about war and terrorists coming again, and the, that could get pretty rowdy sometimes, and uh, and and pictures of the missing. The, the posters of the missing were everywhere. They papered the city. It was like the city was wallpapered with these posters of the missing, and they, they were in the newspapers, the TV, and... Murals, humongous murals sprouted up everywhere. It was one across the street from my house. Uh, <clears throat> but mostly, yeah, I was in a dazed state, you know, like for a long time. And, uh, like, uh, the next thing I remember, my friends were trying to talk me into coming over for Thanksgiving. And I was like, Thanksgiving? Like, what month is this? So, uh, I had, like, old classmates and neighbors who were working at and around the trade center. So eventually, you know, um, I went back to working and the job market was like totally dry for about the next year or two, but um, I got on with it and um, despite my sort of permanent anger and fear and scars on my psyche as well as my skyline, uh, you know, the, the bush years were hard I have to live through, but like I never stopped obsessing about the threat that it might happen again at any moment. And I, I raged against bin Laden at the time, like all the time. And uh, like, well, gradually less as the years passed. And, but I fucking hated that guy, you know, in every fiber of my being. And um, I, of course, realized that, you know, most people got by just fine as the years passed. But, you know, I'm, I'm way too sensitive and that's just me. But uh, so now <clears throat> I hear that he's dead. And, uh, you know, my first instinct was like everybody else's. Like, oh, my God, hallelujah. You know, can this be real? And I'm jumping for joy and I'm crying for joy and I'm praying for peace. And even though I'm an atheist and I thank my president and I giggle uncontrollably, like, you know, I mean, I'm overjoyed. And so, you know, I'm watching TV, and I, I see the crowds partying down at, at the Trade Center, and uh, 
at the at the you know the site, the Ground Zero site, and uh, for a couple of minutes there, I really thought like I might just run down and go join them. So I'm watching, and you know, I started thinking like, gee, I, I wish they had captured him. You know, I wish we had him and could just like throw him behind bars, like any criminal loser motherfucker. You know, uh, watch him and try and tell it to the judge about your stupid jihad motherfucker um, and I think that you know ultimately that would have been a lot more satisfying but um, and I began to realize that I was only watching uh, a bunch of rowdy frat boys popping champagne and so you know I don't think I want to put myself in the middle of that mess so uh, but truth be told I don't begrudge them their spontaneous elation I mean I too had a moment of supreme joy and a genuine sense of relief so you know kids are kids and you know they get like that sometimes so this was a monumental moment for me too and uh, we killed an icon you know it's a big fucking deal as Joe Biden might say so um, well I didn't go I stayed home and continued to focus on the news coverage and opinion that you know it continues to pour out and I'm still all over it uh, and generally, I've got a much more deeply nuanced view of the whole Bin Laden episode now, and I'm fine with you or other people having a different reaction than mine. You know, that's cool. Uh, and, and when you see the Bush administration criminals, they look ridiculous now. Uh, you know, I'm relieved to be able to, like, laugh at them when I see them on TV. Uh, but um, And I'm grateful that foreign policy is in more somber, serious hands today because uh, it's time we finally got our shit together and figure out how to live with the rest of the world from here on in. So, okay, thanks for letting me talk today. Um, I love the show. Good night. Hey, how's it going, Jay? This is Matthew from San Francisco. Surprised I don't hear more people calling in from San Francisco, but uh, I'm sure they're listening anyhow. Anyways, I hear all these shows uh, that go on about the deficit or the deficit mentioned in different shows. And I know that you uh, you maybe can't take on any more sources that you said that before, but the Planet Money podcast from NPR, they talk a lot about the deficit. And it's interesting in their particular case to hear some people who are well-versed in economics, who are big in economics, and... Uh, hear them talking, uh, you know, sense in a progressive uh, sense <laughs> uh, about the deficit and just, uh, you know, calling it like it really is in that arena. And so, uh, yeah, consider using some stuff from them because uh, they're uh, like-minded to progressives and they know what they're talking about. Have a good one, man.